to their Okay, just give me a quick mic check. Check, check. Awesome. Everything looks good. And okay, so I am trying to hit record on my side, but it is saying I need to ask permission of you first. Oh, that's fine. I didn't see that. Please request recording from the meeting host. Oh, because you're trying to do it through Zoom. Resume. Yes. Yeah. Let me. Yeah. Can There's I no even mix. do that? I have no mix minus on my side because I usually use Zencast record. But boom, there we go. Okay. All right. Awesome. Uh, I'm gonna do a quick intro and then we'll jump into it. Oh, before we do that, the after show. Did that make sense when I explained it in the message? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, cool. So yeah, basically you just have as much or as little time as you want to ask me whatever questions they can be about anything, but we'll get. Yeah, yeah, no worries. All right, let's put a pause in here and then I'll be ready. What's up everybody, Jay Miller here, bringing another Productivity in Tech podcast. My guest this week, is john i'm not gonna try it so john please tell me how to properly say (laughs) spazic spazic okay yeah Yeah. i would have messed that up all right so john let everybody know about yourself so uh well my name's john spazic uh you know a lot of people have have screwed up my name so no worries jay i mean it's great when the telemarketers call and they mispronounce my name and i tell them they have the wrong number which always throws them for a loop, which is a great filter. Uh, so I am an information security professional. I work for a company in Waterloo, Ontario. Uh, I work for, we make software for the MSP industry. And I've been in information security for about seven years now. And previous to that, I was a software developer for roughly 15, give or take, years. And what else? Uh, oh, yeah, I have my own podcast, the Purple Squad Security Podcast, where I talk to various professionals in the information security arena and uh, kind of share stories and, and get ideas on what's going on in the world and how can people either break into it or even do some deeper dives into some more technical discussions. With so before we started recording, you mentioned that it is called purple teaming although your podcast is purple squad but kind of go into detail what the purple side is because i know of red team and i know blue team and i think i can infer what that means but just in case yeah no worries uh so just to give uh, your audience a bit of background. So in information security, cybersecurity is another term for it, but most of us in in, in the uh, in the realm, we don't like saying cyber unless we're in government. Uh, but for the rest of us, it's information security. Um, I never actually understood why that was the case, but it is. But we have the concept of what we call red teams and blue teams. And this, this comes from military service where you have the red team and the blue team 
or the red squad and the blue squad. And the concept is red is attacking, blue is defending. So within an organization, you normally have security staff on hand. Uh, if you've ever had to do any sort of phishing training awareness, that sort of thing, chances are you do have a blue team that is working for your organization. And their job is to shore up the defenses. They take care of the firewalls, intrusion detection, uh, spam protection, phishing protection, uh, network monitoring, over and above firewalls and whatnot, antivirus, EDR, so on and so forth. And the red team is usually an external group, somebody that you hire on a contract basis, uh, usually for penetration testing for your organization, uh, either application or network or both. And the concept of a purple team is actually putting those two groups together Oftentimes what will happen, especially with a penetration test, the red team will be uh, kind of unannounced. They're just going to go in and they're just going to try to penetrate your network defenses and get in. And they usually have a flag uh, that they've been told to get. It could be go get uh, some personal information records uh, from HR or see if you can get yourself as a domain administrator on our Windows network something along those lines and they'll do this and if your blue team's good they'll catch them now because it's independent and if your blue team doesn't know what's going on the level of success is usually in the favor of the red team usually you get uh, if you have a very decent team that's going in they will get in and get everything without the blue team ever noticing what's going on while this is good, it can be very frustrating for the blue team because they kind of get this big report, a few hundred pages, uh, that says, here's how we broke in through all your defenses, and P.S., you guys suck. Um, that's that's the general feeling of the, of the blue team when they get these giant reports, like, oh, who the hell are these guys? I think they're all whatever. And to be fair, there are some red teams that actually take great pleasure in showing up how uh, leet their hacks or skills are. And... It really is, it builds a bit of an animosity between the two teams, which which drives people nuts. Uh, so I'm a fan of what's called purple teaming, where you essentially bring the two teams together. The red teams will start attacking. If they get past the defense, they'll say, hey, blue team, we just got past your defense. Here's how we did it. And the blue team will be, oh, crap. Let's go take a look. They'll go through logs. They'll see, oh, we did see that, but we didn't have an alert set up for that. Okay, let's set that up now. Red team, why don't you go ahead and try to do it again? They'll try, they get caught, cool. Now the red team tries a different venue and, or an avenue or a vector of attack. And they kind of continue on that way. So the two teams are working together in tandem to kind of shore up the defenses as well as build up the skill set of the red team to see what does it actually take to get past that defense. And at the end of the day, the group that actually benefits the most is the company that employs both of them. Because at the end of the day, what they're doing is protecting that company that much more. So that sort of collaborative teamwork is really what, uh, what I find most appealing with the concept of purple teaming. And that's, that's really why I created this show uh, and named it Purple Squad Security is because I wanted to bring elements of, of um, both the attack and the defense to the audience and get them to understand that, yes, you know what, there shouldn't be an animosity between the two teams. Because at the end of the day, regardless if you're doing a purple team 
activity, or if you're just doing traditional penetration testing, looking for vulnerabilities, the group that's really out to get the benefit is the organization that's that's hired these teams. I can't remember if it was Sun Tzu that said, know your enemy, but I'm sure it was some major war leader. And it seems like this is what you're doing in this process of being able to say, okay, we're not, it's not this shadowy figure behind the curtain. It's not the, the Wizard of Oz, you know, if you will, it's us right next to you. And it's us working alongside of you to show you that you need help, but to also explain it and guide you through the steps. And I, I think that's something that a lot of um, IT departments, they hesitate when it comes to bringing in security specialists because of that reason. They feel like you're here to make more work for me. You're here to show my boss that I'm not doing a good job. But I think the way that your purple teaming idea has really, you know, shined in my mind is that it is a walkthrough of here are the good things that you're doing and here are the areas that need. And I think that re rephrasing or redefining how network security um, consultants and network security teams really help the industry and the company as a whole. Um, I remember you saying the value doesn't come from just the IT department. It comes from the whole company and the executives upstairs knowing that not only do they have a strong security, but now they have more informed um, personnel on their team. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, it's a common belief that uh, security consultants can be there to add work to your plate. And that may or may not be the case. It really depends on your network. It depends on on whatever else. Really, they're not there to point fingers or, or put out blame towards any, any person, department, or whatever. It could be IT if we're talking about network security. It could be the developers if we're talking about application security. I mean, as much as software development has multiple sort of specialties from full stack to back end to database to you know front end to whatever and then we throw in the the myriad of languages that we have out there as well i mean it's a wide open space security is very very similar where we have different specialties and specializations that we can get into the blue team and the red team being kind of the most common ones um, i would love to say that purple team was my idea it really wasn't it's been around for for quite some time um, however, it's, it's still, I would say, still in its infancy because not every organization uh, really buys into it. And even finding the appropriate consultant that can do it for you is also somewhat tricky because you need someone who is willing to be patient with you and can communicate well on the fly. 
Um, and but regardless, I mean, the, one of the things that bothers me is the fact that security is known by one of two things: either A, we're here to make more work for you, or B, we're the department of no. So when we talk about in-house security teams, well, I just want to install this piece of software on my on my laptop. No, well, why not? Because you're not allowed. Why? Well, because I said so. And this is reminiscent of IT, I'd say, in, in the early 90s, where budgets were huge and everybody wanted to get on the internet and you could get whatever you wanted. And IT had a lot of of um, power more or less because they were the ones that understood what it was and they grew you know this is now granted this is 20 years ago but i remember it like the back of my hand uh or like it was just yesterday it departments were really really you know they had the iron fist of of i can do whatever i want and you had horror stories of you know the it uh admins from hell and security has somehow gotten that same kind of shtick uh, and that same type of reputation. And the reality is we, it's not really that at all. What we're really trying to do is we're there to limit risk to the company. And that risk is really going to affect the bottom line. And that bottom line is uh, directly affected to your, uh, or directly related to your paycheck. So I would often have... Uh, I had this one company I worked for and they would always say, you know, what drives you and be very proud of their, of their teams because, and, and their various employees, because everyone would be like, I'm here to make the world a better place with the software that we're, that we're building here. And they're, they're, they'd give all these flowery speeches on everything else. And of course I was, I was in security and, you know, John, what are you, what are you here for? What drives you? And I'd look at them square in the eye and I would say money. Yeah, and they and they look at me and they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "No, money. I'm here to get paid. If you don't pay me, I'm not coming here." But let me break this down for you. I'm going to get paid because you're getting paid from your customers, and your customers are only going to pay you if they have a certain level of trust and belief in the product that you're building. And if that trust is violated, either because of some sort of attack or because of some sort of compromise or because of whatever else then you're not going to get paid, which means I'm not going to get paid, which directly affects my bottom line. So I will continue to work to protect you from those risks. But at the end of the day, let's be clear, I'm doing this <laughs> because at the end of the day, I want to get paid. And if I happen to find enjoyment while I'm doing this, and you know, it just so happens I really like what I do, then that's great. But that's not my driving factor. And it throws people for a loop when I say things like that. But the reality is, no, I'm very pragmatic in that regard, in that, you know, if if we don't understand what the risks are, if we're not willing to mitigate those risks, regardless of what department you're in, uh, there is there is a non-zero percentage of, uh, of some sort of event that could occur that will impact the ability for me to be paid. You know, that makes me think a lot about the general idea of how do, like, how much security should I put into a certain product? Like, when I'm thinking about 
um, network security isn't really my my big area. The the more area that I'm I'm more known in is like, okay, I just need to sure up this you know website or this database and make sure that all of the right protections are in place. Well, I feel like there is always a level of overkill. And am I thinking about that the wrong way? Should I should I just say, you know, it needs to be as secure as we could possibly make it spare no expense and and, you know, create Fort Knox for my web app? Or or is there like a level of like you're probably safe enough just doing these things? So I'm so glad you asked this because this is where you can tell people who have been in the industry for a while versus people who are new to the industry or more dangerously, those who understand it from the edges, but don't necessarily have done that deep dive. Um, it boils down to a cost benefit analysis. Um, we can make things a hundred percent secure that are completely unusable because no one will ever be able to communicate with that system or use that application because there will be no input fields. There will be no network communication. There will be no website presence. Like there will be nothing. It'll be perfectly secure because no one can access it, but it, it's, it's pointless. So you can throw money uh, at a problem and you can spend you know, $10,000 to protect your $1 pencil, for example. And it doesn't make sense. We, in the security industry, there's lots of what we call blinky box vendors. You know, these are the vendors that are selling a product and they'll say, hey, buy this product and you'll be 100% secure. Okay, first word of advice. Anyone says if you use or buy their product and it gives you 100% security, they're full of it because there's no such thing. Um, so spending enormous amounts of money isn't going to really solve the problem. You know, we do risk analysis, we do threat modeling, we use a variety of different tools to basically identify, okay, what are the threats that could attack a particular piece of software, for example? If I've got a website, okay, where are my input fields? Right? What, are, what are the chances of someone uh, doing X? Right. So, for example, if I have a website and I am taking, uh, I have a login screen. Here's a, here's a great example. I've got my login screen. What are my threats? Well, first and foremost, are people going to be um, trying to launch viruses at the site? Probably not. Probably what they're going to try to do is uh, screw around with that login page by uh, um firing off username password requests and maybe i'm going to pick one particular username and it's going to hammer a whole bunch of different passwords um, do i have a control that will protect against that what does that control look like do i have for example a timeout so if you have five bad password attempts do i lock out the account for a certain period of time or do i take it a step further and say lock it out indefinitely until an, an, an admin comes in and unlocks that individual account if I go with the admin route, um, what is the cost of that? Because now I've got a user that can't log in that has to wait for another person to uh, go in and unlock their account. If it's an automated thing, okay, 15 minutes is, is usually what I would do. 
uh, for for an account lockout. Okay, for that 15 minutes, how much of an impact is that going to be? Is that going to be if this is mission critical and somebody just literally forgot their password? Um, what if they have to call me? Like, what is the potential loss there? And you have to kind of weigh those to figure out what you what you want to do, how you want to protect it, um, and how much are you willing to lose? Because you are locking someone out. So the question is, how long are you willing to lock them out for? And what's the potential impact? And this is where these types of decisions can't be made on your own you have to work with other teams within the organization. So you have your uh, customer success team, the people that are dealing with their customers. They understand the business models that the customers are using. They'll understand what is the impact if someone can't use it for 15 minutes or indefinitely until they get in touch with someone. Are, you, are your users you know, near a phone that they can use or are they kind of sequestered off in a in a secure area that you know they don't have open communication so the option of just calling an administrator may not be an option at all and and that sort of thing as well as you know working with your different uh business leaders as well at the end of the day risk has to be assumed by the ceo and whomever that happens to be he or she has to make that final call on yes i will accept this risk to the business or no i will not but they can't do that if you don't give them the necessary um, information about these are the potential harms that could come if we didn't do this. You know, one of the things that I, I always think about is how do I, how do I create security through, I, I would say almost innovation. Like you hear these, you see these companies that are like, uh, now I think the, the big thing is the magic email. Everyone's like, oh, put in your email address. Now we're going to go send an email to you. Once you get it, you put in this password we just generated for you and then you're in. Uh, what is your take on the best methods for for authentication in that manner? And is there inherently a risk for trying to create I guess, new ways to get into something uh, in hopes that maybe the bad guys have never thought of ways to get around them. So the first thing to know is bad guys are lazy. Uh, they're not going to to really go after uh, really complicated mechanisms or whatever else. Um, so the tr truth be told, a lot of the standard things that we do in software development, again, sort of like creating your new account, uh, type in your password, or just give me your email and I'll generate a password for you. Um, I'm not a big fan of that. And I'll tell you why. Because you're migrating the risk from the user to yourself, right? The organization that's generating the password unless you're forcing the user to change that password after you give it to them initially, uh, means that you're the one who came up with it. So you're the one that's responsible for it. So if you get attacked, you hold and bear all responsibility for it. Truth be told, you can let your users pick their own passwords, but what you can do is kind of encourage them to do a proper password. And what I mean by proper is 
give them a length uh, requirement. Don't do the eight character passwords. Those are not secure. Those are very easy to bypass. And chances are people are going to reuse a password they've had somewhere else. What you can do is you can work with uh, sites like Have I Been Pwned, where they have an API that you can query to say, hey, when you type in your password, we're just going to check to see if this password's been in a leak somewhere else. And if the answer is yes, then pop up a warning for them and say, this is probably not a good idea. This password has been compromised in this data breach, this data breach, and this other data breach. Can you try a different one and let them let them do that? I would recommend minimum of 12 character passwords. Um, I also wouldn't necessarily worry about uppercase, lowercase number, and symbol. I mean, that's old technology that we've had and this whole idea of rotating passwords as well. These have kind of been, uh, like NIST, for example, has actually said, uh, these are not great ideas anymore. You should probably kind of move away from them. Because what they found is people that have to rotate their passwords every 90 days, and this isn't normally something you'd see in an application, but you would see within a company. What ends up happening is people actually pick weaker passwords because they can't remember what their last 15 passwords were, even though the system is like, no, you've used that in the last 15 passwords. We can't let you possibly use it again. So people pick their favorite uh, their 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 favorite password and they'll add a one to it and then a two and then a three and then a four and they'll just cycle through those 15 things because it will be the same sort of thing and it goes from there now going back to your original question about what what would be a good way to design an application uh, for authentication how you come up with the password i would honestly i would let the user pick their own password i would do a few other things though i would uh, encourage them to pick a unique password. And again, by using services like Have I Been Pwned, they have an API that you can actually call out. You give them a hashed password, uh, so they never actually get the raw password, but I think they don't even take the full uh, hash. I think they you generate a SHA-256 sum, and then you send like the first eight characters of that uh, SHA to them, and they'll tell you, yes, we've seen it, or no, we haven't. And if you can give that that feedback to your users, that'll force them to just kind of kind of think about it. Uh, the other thing that I would do is I would encourage them to make use of multi-factor, right? Add that second factor, um, you know, be it through Google Authenticator or whatever else. But having that code, uh, I wouldn't go with the SMS because, well, first of all, it's a pain in the ass. And secondly, it's, it's again, it's not recommended. It's a NIST recommendation not to make use of SMS for your second factor. Uh, but any other code would be fine. Now, having said all of this, the fact of the matter is, if you have a determined attacker who is absolutely hell-bent on breaking into a system, uh, they will succeed in one way, shape, or form, right? There's there's very little any of us can do. So, you know, going back to this whole concept of red and blue team, 
you know, there's very much like the famous Sun Tzu quote, you know, if you know yourself, you'll win 50% of the time. If you know your enemy, you'll win 100% of the time. Uh, basically understanding the idea is if you understand both sides, if you only understand one, you have 50% chance of winning. If you understand both, you'll be completely successful. So there's a bastardization of that where we would say the blue team has to be right 100% of the time. The red team only has to be right once. And of course, that's true, but there's a corollary to that. After the red team is successful, now the clock starts ticking. How quickly can the blue team pick them up? And by adding multiple layers of defense, you can find uh, these, these attackers a hell of a lot faster. And from there, you stop them before they cause significant harm. When it comes to something like authentication, yes, having a password, let the user pick that password, make sure that password is unique. And then uh, going back and looking at things like account lockouts, if someone's really trying to hammer on a single account, lock them out, I would actually generate a log entry and say, hey, we've locked this person out because of these uh, this many failed attempts in X minutes, right? So I wouldn't say, um, every time you fail to log in successfully with five passwords, uh, because that could be spread out over a significantly long period of time, we're looking for automated attacks or things along those lines. And those usually happen in a very short time window. So I would say five failed login attempts in the last 10 minutes, for example, because attackers have a timeline too. They don't necessarily want to sit around and I'm going to send one password once an hour just to see if it's going to work. They're going to try to run through it quickly because they're going to go for multiple accounts. And so having, first of all, making sure that your users are using strong passwords, that helps. Making sure you have alerts uh, for your application saying, hey, someone is trying to brute force an account, that will also help because it it alerts your blue team, it alerts your defenders and saying, hey, something strange might be happening. And this is something I think a lot of developers take for granted. They may not know that a lot of the stuff that we're that they're building um, can actually feed in to protect the rest of the company, which again leads into the whole point about why we go and work for anyone, which is to get paid and kind of help lower that risk. The second factor authentication piece, yeah, it's a bit of a pain, but you know what? It also is uh, a significant improvement in terms of hardening and in terms of protecting your your environment and your company and your users. So I, I know we, we've got to get to another topic here. <laughs> Just because <laughs> I, I, I know it's fine because I have I it's I have all the questions. So We'll be we'll be here for hours if you let me ask everything. But I did have one more question in terms of um, the actual security side of things. Uh, one mm -hmm. of the things that I see a lot with banking and with um, some some applications, I think Apple does this a little bit where you try to log in and all of a sudden you get this little map that pops up that's like, or you get an email that says, hey, we noticed a login from this location and this isn't where you would normally log in. So it's like, wait a minute. Now, you know where I normally log in, which means you're storing that data somehow. Um, I don't know how if I'm OK with that. Uh, so my question is, how much should we give in terms of information 
when it comes to shoring up our security? Well, so when you get those pop-ups and they say, hey, you're coming from a different location or whatever else, they're just doing an IP lookup. That's, that's really what it is. And there's many, many services out there that will get you uh, down to the city level, not necessarily the address, but down to the city level where that IP address is located in. So if you, for example, normally log in and you're logging in from California and you're in Los Angeles, for example, okay, Apple, the banks, whatever else, they're going to be like, oh, cool, Jay's out in California, this is normal, this is normal, this is normal. Then the next time you log in, now all of a sudden you're out in the middle of Massachusetts, they're going to be like, well, hold on a second, that's on the other side of the country, that's not normal. And we're just going to kind of alert you to that. So they're not really taking any personal information from you directly. They're simply paying attention to the IP address you're using to connect to their services. And they've got a filter that basically says, okay, they're, they're no longer in the same state, let alone the same city. And we just want to raise that, that alarm. Um, oftentimes I'll see this triggered if I'm using a VPN and I'm logging into a service and I forgot that I have my VPN open and they'll be like, hold on a second. You're coming from Iceland now. Like what the hell is this? Oh no, no, no. That's, that's me. That's normal. So a lot of this is, is what's called behavioral analysis. They're taking a look at the behavior, like what time of day are you logging in? What IP are you coming from? Uh, what, uh, even your browser to, to that degree. So all of these are technical indicators, not necessarily anything personally identifiable to you, but it's enough to kind of trigger that something seems a bit off. Like all of these could be an indicator of someone trying to take advantage of your account uh, because it's not you, or at least it's not what you normally would do. That makes a lot of sense. So let's let's talk about uh, one. The thing that actually uh, introduced me to you and, and to your podcast was this this post that you uh, just had put out about you and a, a team of or an event that uh, you put together where it seems like you gamified the idea of information security. Uh, go into detail about about that idea. Sure. So, yeah, I did a so we had a conference uh, here near where I live uh, called True North. Um, so if people are interested. You can go take a look at it. I'm not going to I'm not going to plug their conference because it's already over. Uh, but it's it's basically we had a workshop, me and a few colleagues of mine, and we put together um, what we call a tabletop exercise. Now, some of your listeners may actually know what a tabletop is. Some of them are thinking this is Dungeons and Dragons type of thing. Um, they're both right. Uh, a, traditionally, a tabletop is kind of a, a simulation of an event occurring within your company. What does that mean? It means something happened. And what you do is you get different people from different departments. So you can have HR, you can have IT, you can have legal, you can have finance, you can have your executives uh, come in. And you sit down and you say, okay, we have a business continuity and the whole point of this exercise is to walk through that business continuity plan by trying to address an event 
And that could be anything from the office is flooded to our database server has crashed to we've been attacked with ransomware. And what do you do? And these business continuity plans are, are exactly that. They're plans that will step your staff through their different responsibilities and the, the means to reach recovery. Your business is interrupted because of something. So what do you do to recover from that event and get yourself back to, back to the positive, back to being able to actually do your business? So a lot of times when people do these, they'll, they're usually performed by the security team. Not always. IT teams will do them as well. Uh, they don't have to be security events. Like I said, you have uh, flooding, which is a great example. You can have an ISP disconnect, right? Your ISP has gone down. Uh, we actually just had that a couple of weeks ago with, uh, or actually last week, I guess uh, it was based on the day that we're recording now. Uh, where Cloudflare was down, and it was down because of an issue with a third-party ISP out of like Pennsylvania or something that published a bad route, which caused half the internet to go down, which was you know fantastic, but that's another story for another day. But the point is, how do you resolve it? How do you go through it? Now, the problem that I have with tabletops is people will follow what's called the happy path, oh, we're just going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and it's fine, it just works. And as we all know, reality doesn't follow a happy path. So my idea was to merge the idea of a traditional tabletop exercise with Dungeons & Dragons. And why did I do that? Mainly because I wanted to introduce randomness to it. Now we're not talking about orcs and you know mages and and barbarians coming down the street and going to the tavern and trying to clear out a basement full of rats. What we're talking about is getting people to follow their disaster recovery plan, their business continuity plan, but every time they have to make a decision, roll dice. And the way I do it is I have two sets of dice. Um, well, one set of dice, but a six-sided dice and a 20-sided die. And the idea is, depending on the decision that they have to make, they will have to roll one of those die. And depending on what it lands, I have uh, predetermined conditions that you're either successful, you're not successful, and then the severity of that. So those who have played Dungeons & Dragons, if you roll a natural one, which basically means you roll a dice and or roll a die, if it lands on a one, that is the worst possible outcome. Or if you roll and you get a natural six or a natural 20, which is whatever the highest value of the die that you're rolling happens to be, be that a six or a 20, that is the best case scenario. That's the closest you're ever gonna get to a happy path. And then you kind of have something in between. Uh, for whatever it happens to be. So when we do these tabletop exercises, even the non-gamified ones like I have, uh, you still have someone who's kind of coordinating and driving that forward. When we start rolling dice, you have to have someone who does act like that dungeon master, that person who's driving the, the, the exercise and is telling you what is the outcome of the role that you just did. 
So the conference that we had was an interesting scenario that I had cooked up. And the gist of it was you were a uh, small software company that was in the waste management industry. You built software for the waste management industry. And it's a very niche market, but it's very, very competitive. And it just so happens that your organization happens to be the uh, industry leader. And what ended up happening is you came in, everything was fine. All of a sudden, you hear a buzzing, and the fans and all the machines are, are spinning up. And after about 10 minutes, the machines start rebooting themselves, almost like dominoes. You can see it throughout the entire office. And you had about you know 450 employees, 500 machines. And all of a sudden, they all come back up, and you've got a ransomware screen uh, that's popped up. And the question began with, what do you do? And we kind of turned it over from there and let the audience kind of try to work their way through. So we had people in groups. We had an IT department. We had an HR department, finance, legal, and support, uh, and marketing as well. And one of my co-presenters was our CEO. So he got to make final decisions just to kind of keep us on track. Did anyone have to roll for initiative? No, there's no roll for initiative. <laughs> I mean, as you were talking about it, I kept getting these these images of orcs in the server room, and and that's probably going to be a show title. Um, I, I I really love this idea because, like you said, we we always uh, what's what's the saying? Um, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Like exactly. I I feel like that is often ignored in terms of security because when people think that there's a security incident that is the worst and it's like oh no it can get worse than that um so to to introduce a little bit of randomness into the plan is really a great way to simulate a more realistic experience and i think that uh i think one of the other big examples that i've seen of this is where Netflix has their, they call it the Chaos Gorilla, which yeah. I believe it's like every 24 hours, a randomized um, incident affects some part of their network infrastructure to just to make sure that they're shored up in all areas. Like one, it's insane. Two, it's brilliant. Um, I, I really thought that was a very cool idea. So before we wrap up and jump into the after show, I, I just want to thank you for one, a great primer on um, information security. And I hope that the listeners to this can, I don't know, trick your boss into listening to this episode and maybe starting that conversation somewhere. But if they're near the Waterloo area and they want to recruit you for your services, how can they get in touch with you? So uh, probably the easiest way uh, to get in touch. So I do actually have a side gig where I can I can do these these tabletop exercises and and we can kind of go from there. Uh, go over to elitesec.io, E-L-I-T-E-S-E-C.io. Uh, because I'm a huge fan of Hackers, the movie from way back when, and 
back when it meant something when someone was called elite that 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 actually meant something so head over to elitesec.io i apologize for the website i am trying to redo it but i wanted to whip up something uh just to have a presence uh but regardless people can reach out to me there uh, we have a contact form that's probably the easiest way to get in touch uh, if they wanted to do something like this, if people just want to chat with me to talk about the security items or whatever else, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at John's not here on Twitter and uh, my DMs are open. People can hit me up on DMs and we can kind of take it from there. And you also have a, a Slack community as well for people who are interested in talking to other um, information security professionals. Yeah, so we do. We have a Slack community for my podcast. Uh, you guys can head over to purplesquadsec.com and you can find uh, links to the Slack community from there. So we actually have an invite bot, signup.purplesquadsec.com or just hit the website and I've got a link to that signup bot as well. And yeah, we have a, a small but vibrant community of people that like to... Uh, like to talk uh, talk security for sure, and we have a mix of people: those who are in the industry, those who are in, who are developers, those who are in school, those who are uh, in QA, uh, and you know we have a nice wide berth of people that are definitely there to help if anyone has any questions. You don't you don't pen test us when we try to sign up, right? No, that would be mean. Uh, plus, without a contract, <laughs> I wouldn't without permission. Okay, uh, <laughs> just, no, just checking. No, no, no penetration without permission. Let's put it that way. And and as someone who has who has just started listening to the podcast and really enjoyed it, um, one, I want to thank you for the quick uh, turnaround on this. I, I think we were able to uh, get introduced, get scheduled, and record within a matter of days. Um, just like your information security should be, you should be able to respond and and act within you know a short period of time. Uh, that's my corny. Uh, IT joke there. But uh, as someone who's listened to the podcast, I really enjoyed it. It it made me think of things that, uh, one, I don't want to think about because security and lack of it is scary. And but also it informed me a lot about ways that I can take to my team and say, hey, let's just make sure that we're we're doing the right things and and maybe even again roll for initiative and and see what happens and and you know i think playing pretend does a lot no oh, no for sure for sure and i appreciate everything uh you just said jay that's uh that's awesome but yeah you know no rest for the wicked as we say all right well everyone we're about to jump into the after show so if you've enjoyed this conversation and you want to hear more from john then head over to productivityintech.com slash memberships and sign up to become a premium member. It not only gives you access to all the bonus shows, but it gives you access to our private group inside of our public Slack channel where I talk about productivity and tech as a business, how it's doing, how we can improve it, as well as listen to your feedback and connect with you for some productivity and some technology at least once a week. Again, that and more information over at productivityintech.com. You can always reach out to me at KJAY Miller on Twitter. And of course, be sure to follow Productivity in Tech and all things going on as well at prod underscore in underscore tech. Special thanks to Nadira Mawali for the use of his music, a hustler in spite of myself. And for John, 
and productivity in tech. I'm Jay Miller, and I'll see you next time. So, John, are you ready for the after show? Yeah, let's 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 have some fun. All right. So here's my spiel. Uh, at the end of every conversation, I've asked a bunch of questions. I'm tired of asking. I want to start answering. And the easiest way to do that is to pass over the host baton to you. This is now your show to talk about whatever you want with me as your guest. Um, again, as long or as little as you want to do this. But from this point on, the show is yours. Excellent. Well, thank you, Jay. So generally, when I when I have guests on my show, I ask them to introduce themselves and, and whatever else. Now, given this is still technically part of your show we're gonna we're gonna skip that but I, I usually you know try to build the rapport with with my uh with my guest and i'll ask them just general things like you know do you have any you know do you have a pet or anything we have uh three pets not including our daughter um we have yeah, two kids, kids are cute and i could definitely see them as being pets but uh yeah, yeah. What, what kind of what kind of pets do you have? We have two dogs and a. The cat is mine. Uh, one of the dogs is technically mine, um, although I think neither one of them like me all that much. They in, prefer my wife, uh, and then my wife also has a dog who is um, the sister to to my dog, the actual litter sister. So. Oh, very good. Oh, that's that's adorable. So, you know. You said that you have two dogs and a cat, and I don't believe you because you have two dogs and the cat has adopted you guys is really the yeah. way that it, that, it, that it pans out. So, you know, what what are, what are their names? Like, do you do you, do they have like cute names like Fluffy and, you know, Paws and, and Spot or, or something or. So funny story. Um, apparently when you get puppies, you can't really tell what their genders are. So, uh, we thought we had two boys. Um, turns out we were wrong. So the original names were Otis and Zaxby for the dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, once our veterinarian let us know like, Hey, those, uh, yeah, these are both girls. Uh, then... (laughs) Their names changed to Alice and Dolores, or Dolores, as most people call her, but her actual name is of Loris or De Loris, because we live in Southern California. And I, I love those. Uh, I, I love kind of playing with words a little bit. And then our cat, who's actually the oldest of the pets, um, her name is Peanut Butter. And it used to be Tinsel when we adopted her as a kitten. Um, both my wife and I thought, wow, that's an adorable cat, but there, but its name is absolutely terrible. We will no longer refer to her by that name. Um, and when we had to finally make a decision, we said, oh, let's just grab the peanut buttery looking one. And sure enough, that became her name. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. My kids keep asking for, you know, my, let me be more clear. My daughter asks for a cat. My son asks for a dog. Um, and we're like, no, <laughs> just flat out. No, we're going to lose that battle eventually. I know that, but, uh, but, uh, it was, it was interesting that you answered my, my question so honestly, Jay, and I'm sorry, but that was a great example of social engineering and where I'm trying to get some personal information out of you that I may be able to use in uh, password recovery questions. I'm going to stop there because usually one of the questions is, do you have any pets? What are your pets names? And uh, 
You see, you, know. you you fell for my my trap of traps because ah, oh, you were playing that game, were you? <laughs> no, I. One of the things that I actually do is uh, um, I do use a password manager of sorts. I use One Password, and when it does ask me for uh, those, what's the name of your high school teacher? Blah 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 or whatever. Right, right. I always randomize those answers, so. Um, I, I definitely get the idea, <laughs> but what I gave you was accurate, but what you would put in a password field or an information field for me may not. Now, that has come back to haunt me a couple of times when you apply for a loan and it asks you a question and it's like, we're sorry, this information is uh, not accurate, even though they should be pulling from public record. Doesn't make sense to me. Facts. I hear you. I hear you. Um, no, that's good. That's good. This is... Uh... You'd be surprised how many people will will actually fall for this, um, and I think this is this is one of the things that always amuses me with with uh, information security because a lot of things, again, it's not obvious. People think that it's really obvious, and it drives me crazy. So, so Jay, you're you're a developer, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's that's kind of your your trade more or less i don't know what my trade is anymore it's it's changed <laughs> so much like uh if you look at my day job i'm technically an e-commerce specialist um if you look at what i do on a daily basis for my day job i'm more of a marketing developer so i uh, create small in-house applications for our team to utilize to i guess market things better um and that all came from having a, a military background in information technology, as well as a passion for development as a budding Python uh, developer. And I mean, on top of all of that, I do podcasting and productivity coaching. So it's uh, the term that I use is multi-potentialite uh, from Emily Wapnick's book, How to Be Everything. But uh, yeah, I... I just tell people I just do things like I do things that sound like fun. I do things because I can. Um, yeah, I just do. Oh, nothing wrong with that. I can I can completely understand from from someone who who you know I do security on the day uh, on my day job. I teach at a local community college where I teach security again. Uh, I have a security podcast. I have a theme of security, which is ridiculous, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I I do what I do. Uh, the same sort of thing. It's it's sort of like finding that passion and, and going from there. So when we were talking earlier, you had mentioned things about listening to my podcast, which I appreciate you you know taking the time uh, to do so, and it spawns some questions for you. So oftentimes, what I've found is people who are not in security who then get introduced to security tend to get freaked out really quickly by the variety of things that's going on so i want to ask you jay what keeps you up at night uh, um crippling anxiety um if i'm <laughs> being honest accepted, i would have also accepted uh, uh, insomnia, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that works too. Um, so on, if on. I if I take ADHD medication a little too late, that'll that'll also you know cause it. But I mean, more than anything, I you know I talk about all these things that I want to do. My my dream is to eventually work for no one, which means I work for everyone. Um, and 
lately, the thing that keeps me up is the constant struggle for improvement. Uh, whether that's me editing a podcast for a, a fellow developer's show or um, even editing my own podcast and the snafu that happens with that almost every week. Um, I always tell people, like, there's always something that goes wrong. Uh, it's just a matter of, did I learn from it? This past week, uh, the thing that kept me up was I accidentally deleted this podcast uh, from my host, which, again, there's there's a couple of issues with that. One. It should never be that easy to delete an entire podcast. And then two, it shouldn't take almost, you know, 14 hours to get it all back. Uh, but on, you know, aside from that, it it is this desire to, I would say, be my own boss or uh, be the captain of my own ship or whatever. However you want to, you know, wax poetic on it. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, just just constantly wanting to learn new things, try new things, interact with new people, uh, figure out how I can best help them. Those are the things that that really keep me up. And the thing that makes me stay up until way too late is the crippling anxiety of maybe I'm not doing enough. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. So, you know, um one of the things in information security, we have a high number of people who suffer from imposter syndrome, which is, you know, the belief that I'm not good enough to do what I'm doing. And why the hell is anyone listening to me? Because I'm not an expert in that. And that can, it can expand to, you know, wanting to, to do everything and then not having the ability to to do it all and then yes yeah, again it's, it's kind of a vicious cycle and it feeds and we have a lot of people with anxiety uh issues and concerns uh, as well so you know I've, i have two kids they suffer from anxiety as well so i totally feel you i understand exactly where you're coming from and you know being someone who hosts a podcast who has uh you know imposter syndrome himself uh i recently came to terms with it myself by simply saying you know what i'm not trying to specialize in anything and i'm just going to be a generalist you know in the old days we used to be called uh renaissance men right because we just didn't specialize in one thing we we're just really good at a whole lot of things so Maybe, maybe, you know, shift your focus a bit, Jay, and say, you know what, I don't have to be perfect at everything, but I'm going to have a, have a finger in, in a lot of things, and I'll be pretty damn good at all of them. I think the biggest thing that has helped me um, in this whole journey is, is like you said, just, just understanding that I don't have to be the best at what I do. Uh, one, there's a lot of software and sometimes that software can make you better than you are <laughs> like that's that's one of the things that i am working with now is trying to figure out how can i maximize uh the appearance of skill uh with some innovative algorithmic technology and then the other thing is realizing that the person that Yep. Oh, that's right. Oh, can you hear me now? Yep, that happened again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, as I was as I was I'm saying not, before, I can. Yeah, I'm not editing, so I don't care. 
<laughs> I, oh, no, I, I definitely will uh, fix that. Uh, but the, the thing that I was trying to say before I, I shut myself up was was that I feel like the person that knows everyone knows everything. And I, I say that in that there's power in the knowledge of the people around you. And that's something that as a self-taught developer, I wouldn't be where I am today in my knowledge if it weren't for all of the developers around me and in the community. Um, I say this as people who are listening to this conversation will be the people who are paying members of my own community. Uh, but on top of that, also knowing who to reach out to for for mentorship and for just for general knowledge. And, and that is the driving factor of this podcast. I can't give people the best Internet security advice or information security advice in general, but I was introduced to someone who had more knowledge than I did on the subject and wanted to reach out to that person, not only so that I could be more informed, but so that I could teach others through that same process. Yeah, and I think that's that's fantastic um, that that you say that, Jay, because I think it's it's very very true. So I want to want to touch on two things you just said there. One, uh, you're a self-taught developer, so tip my hat to you, sir. This is not something that's easy to get into, and you know the fact that you've you've done so is impressive in and of itself, because technology, be it security, be it development. I mean, I've done both. Um, I have a degree in computer science. Well, I have a degree in mathematics, but I specialized in computer science. Um, but regardless, people seem to forget that this field, information technology as a whole, and I'm going to lump in development, security, standard IT with hardware and, and software installs and whatever else, it's a constantly changing field. And it's not something that you're going to learn once and it's going to stay stagnant for any period of time. I mean, God knows that's not the case. Every time Apple comes out with a new version of iOS, for example, everyone's scrambling to make sure that uh, everything is going to work as expected. Same thing with, with Android, same thing with Windows. Um, we, we've had now stabilized for sure. But it's it's very difficult to um, kind of have that expectation. I'm going to learn this once and I'll be set for life. This is not the case. Right? We're constantly changing. Uh, the second thing I wanted to touch on uh, that you said is this concept of mentorship and community and learning from one another. Because I think that is something as, that is also often overlooked. And it's it's very important to realize, regardless of the field that you're in, having that community and learning from others is probably the best path forward to to really being, um, how do I put it, jack of all trades. To know everything is to know everyone. I think that's probably the most elegant thing I've ever heard uh, with regards to that, that concept. So well put, sir. Well, thank you. So what else do I want to bug you about? Um, I'm not sure, actually. So, hmm. No, no. 
I can I could do long diatribes about security. I can do diatribes about my personal feelings towards developers and, and everything else. But, you know, this is a family show and we don't exactly want to... <laughs> want to go down that path um i will say you know my my past has been you know i started as a developer um i worked my way through uh i did everything from being you know your entry level software programmer to application designer to architect to development manager um, to doing some devops work and then moving into security uh, from there. And yeah, I mean, I, I literally burned out as a developer. Uh, it got to the point that I couldn't open an IDE. Uh, it's, it's literally how bad it got. So when you're doing development work, do you ever find yourself having sort of that time where like, I just need to stop? I just need to get away from this and I need to clear my head and just kind of go on a different path uh, for, for a short time, just to kind of refresh yourself. With development, I would say not yet. And, and the only reason I, I think that is that I am still very much in the inquisitive, like I want to learn the best way to do a thing. Um, or at least in that moment, not necessarily of all time. But uh, I think in other areas, uh, when it comes to marketing, oh, God, yes. Um, <laughs> IT work in general, there's a reason why I'm a part of a marketing department, not an IT department. Um, that is That was something that I did get burned out on. Uh, I Some people know last year was a very difficult year. I mean, this is... This is like the 20th or 23rd or 24th episode of current Productivity and Tech podcast, but there was a previous one that ran for almost 100 episodes. And it wasn't even the podcast that um, caused the burnout. It was the job that caused the burnout in other areas. And it took me leaving that to to realize it and then being away for it from it for so long i finally was able to see oh i still like podcasting i still like working with audio in fact i miss that more than anything else so what if i start shifting my focus in that direction and that's what ultimately led to the idea of hey let's combine my knowledge of developers, the people that I know, the developers that I know, and then my love for working with audio and let's start helping other people. And the thing that prevents the burnout is seeing the success of others around me. Um, it's funny. One of one of my most popular podcast episodes was an episode that wasn't on my podcast, which Kind of makes me angry sometimes because it's like, wait a minute, I talk about this stuff every single week. I go on someone else's show and then they're like, oh, yeah, this is like the third most you know downloaded episode I've ever done. And it's just like, well, this is crap. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I now work with those people to release, you know, training videos and, and help make their podcast come out every single week on time. And 
when I see them being successful, I mean, sure, you know, I get a paycheck from it. But at the same time, like you said before, that money comes from that money that I get and that I continue to do this work for comes from the fact that I know that there are people out there that will have a larger reach. And the only reason they have that reach is because of the work that I'm putting in behind the scenes. Awesome. Excellent. All right, Jay. Well, I think that's all I wanted to ask you today. Um, like I said, I could have gone in a completely different direction, going deep in security and whatever else, but I don't think that's really beneficial for now. You know, sometimes it's good to know the the man behind the mask, so to speak, or behind the microphone as it is. And sometimes, you know, personally, I like getting to that level of, you know, what drives you, who are you, you know, what sort of challenges do you face and, and you know, how do you... Uh, how do you center yourself sort of thing? So I think this has been fantastic. Appreciate you uh, giving me an opportunity to uh, to run through this with you. Absolutely. And I will stop my recording there.